Hello, friends. This is Josie from Speaking in Church, the podcast you are currently listening to. And I wanted to tell you a little bit about my favorite current thing right now, which is Anchor. Anchor is a free podcasting platform. Um, It's the easiest way to make a podcast. This dummy, yours truly, set it up real quick. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer, which, hello, talk about easy. You don't have to be some professional computer person, which is dope. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and literally wherever else you want to put it. Uh, You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership, which, you know, some of us are just not going to get a million people listening, which is fine. Um, It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So if you want to make your own podcast about literally anything like the two of us, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. (laughs) Hi, friends. Welcome to the Speaking in Church podcast with me, Josie. And me, Spencer. And today we have a very special guest that Spencer's going to introduce to you right now. So today we are very excited to welcome my friend, Kimberly Mendoza Ramos. I had the pleasure of meeting Kimberly at APU, where we both received a BA in Christian Ministries for our undergrad. She is currently studying at Austin Presbyterian Theological Seminary in Austin, Texas, where she hopes to get her Master's of Divinity She also just recently started serving as the worship leader at Grace Presbyterian Church in Round Rock, Texas, and she is a contributor for ReCoalition, which is a coalition of women reclaiming and reimagining the biblical narrative to call everyone into Christ's work of liberation. She is also a newlywed, a COVID bride, what a sign of the times. So we would love to welcome our friend, Kimberly Mendoza Ramos. Hey, hey. Mabu, hi everyone. It's good to see you both. And I love talking to new people. So this is really exciting, especially during this time when I'm isolated. <laughs> I mean, <Yes>. amen. <laughs> I get the COVID bride thing. My wedding was supposed to happen in April. And then we oh. got married in our church parking lot instead. <laughs> yeah, I got married here at the seminary. So I never knew that I'd get married at a school, but you know, things I know. Your photos were your photos were gorgeous though. It looked like you were like in a garden. Yeah, so it was actually a prayer garden which is outside of the apartments here. And I did not know like when Kane and I were talking to the dean of students who officiated the wedding, I was like expecting the least. Like I was just like, let's just do this thing. We'll get this over with. Not because I wasn't excited to get married, but you know, we were planning to have a formal wedding with our parents and everyone later but um when we walked down to the spot some of my classmates surprised us and they decorated the place and um we had a friend who works here also like is a photographer on the side he came and he took pictures so I just felt very blessed because I didn't even have any expectation that this wedding would even like I wasn't even going to like document it. I was just going to, you know, save it for the actual date. But man, it was it was wild. I like hopped off the plane and got ready and we got married on April 24th. So Woo-hoo. wait, that's so funny. I got married on April 25th. Oh my god. <laughs> That's so funny. So that was a Saturday, right? Yeah. Twinsies. It would have been April twenty fifth. I think I didn't want it because our when our, our wedding date was supposed to be May twenty fifth and I don't know. I was just like particular about the twenty fifth, but that's so fun. Congrats. I love it. Thank you. Congrats to you too, COVID brides. Kim, did you did you have to get married because you were planning on living together, like in student housing, or do you live off of campus? Yes, I mean it, that definitely was a reason why. Um, the seminary they have rules around it, um, but you know, we had our wedding was a month away anyway. Yeah, and um, 
honestly, <laughs> we were living by faith. We did not have the budget to do a wedding for 300 people. But, um, yeah, we definitely, I feel like, you know, there was a lot of things that happened um, and a lot of conversations on why we're getting married early. Um, and, you know, I just told you guys, like, I'm a e- recovering evangelical and um, just kind of thinking through the ways, the beliefs that I had was a big um a big reason and a big um, conversation that Kane and I had when we got married. Um, and yeah, we just wanted to make sure we were doing it for the right reasons ultimately. And, um, you know, I love Kane, so thankful for him. And I'm thankful that we took this step of faith together. Um, and like our, our whole relationship is a testimony of God's faithfulness. So yeah, it was, it was definitely a thing though that we had to think about <laughs> i love that i mean i was living in zen way before i got married so <laughs> Whoa! yeah you know in filipino culture too that is a big thing oh and mexican culture too i oh. yeah i'm really white but i'm very mexican i promise <laughs> did you keep it or no so he changed his last name to mine nice because there's no way I mean I'm already like not I'm already white right so I didn't want to lose that part of my identity and also as an avid feminist I was like hell no and then but Ryan really wanted a family name like he didn't really want our kids to hyphenate their last names and he's also a feminist um according to myself so he's like okay I'll take (laughs) your last name I'll be a little bit Mexican now (laughs) yeah I'm like still trying to figure out what I want to change my name to because um, I do, I like love the idea of our kids having the same last name as all of us, but um, I'm actually debating on whether or not I should keep my last name Mendoza and just switch it with my mom's maiden name, Eleno, um, just because I just want to commemorate her and um, no offense to my dad. I love you, dad. But <laughs> um, that's my big thing um, is maybe switching my last na- my n- middle name, I guess, to Eleno now. So what's uh, Kane's last name? It's Ramos. So he's half Mexican and half white. Um, but he he is white passing. So um, I'm very thankful that, you know we can share those various cultures like we met his grandpa who's um hispanic and he um i don't know very different from his the other side of the family but yeah it's really nice i love that i love intercultural relationships they're very difficult and my my uh partner's white and it's been a whole situation oh yeah I mean, because he also grew up Mormon, and Mormons have their own culture, and so it's yeah. like, I don't understand anything right now. It's like no, wasp up, times 10. I grew up in Henderson, Nevada, which is a big population of Mormons. I, went I to have Mormon no prom. idea. I you went to Mormon prom? Yeah, I did. It oh was my gosh. So I love so that. Mormon dances. That's how they try yeah. to convert you. When I... When I when I was in middle school because I grew up in a very Mormon populated uh town as well and yeah when I was in middle school my friend invited me to a Mormon dance and we weren't even super religious at the time we had just started going to church but my mom was like no you can't go to a Mormon dance and I was like okay I mean they're generally innocent I mean because Mormons only try to convert you through being nice to you so they're just (laughs) they're pretty chill from what I hear but you know that's so fun well anyways so so Kimberly yeah. Tell us more about your life in Henderson, Nevada, as a Filipino woman. What was that like growing up there? Yeah, tell us your whole story. <laughs> whole story, alpha leaders. Um, <laughs> um, well, first, it started off in Long Beach, California, where I was born, and I like to start off the story with my parents' story. They are both immigrants from the Philippines. Um, my, it's just funny how they met. So they met at this Filipino, um, Presbyterian church in, um, Wilmington, California. My mom worked for immigration and my dad was undocumented at the time. So, um, their whole, 
you know, that was not a, a big factor, but um, they kind of got married also in a similar situation to us, to me and Kane, where um, my dad got a letter that he would be deported if he, because his paperwork, there's something with his paperwork, and in that moment, my mom and dad just decided, you know what, we love each other, and let's get married. I don't want you to go back to the Philippines, so... They got married, and then um, my sister and I were born, and I think like a few months after I was born, we moved to Salinas, California, where I, uh, we also were at a Filipino Presbyterian church. Um, it was a very small, tight-knit church, and then we found ourselves in Henderson, Nevada, um, because my uncle on my mom's side was um, living there. And yeah, it was, you know, um, there's a good f population of Filipinos now, but when I was going to school, um, I would say that most of my classmates were white. And, um, you know, I have a strong group of Filipino girlfriends and I'm still friends with them to this day, but I have to like admit to myself, like I didn't, I was embarrassed to hang out with other Filipinos um, there was like a stereotype that all Asians just stick together um, at my high school and I didn't want to be part of that. So I found myself um, just really denying my culture, even though um, we went to a Filipino Presbyterian church um, in Henderson. And um, like at church, I was like Filipino. I mean, I was very whitewashed and, you know, I... Um, I felt weird because I didn't speak Filipino and a lot of congregation or a lot of members did. Um, but then at school, I also didn't feel 100% me because I was kind of trying to play this role of I am, you know, one of the few um, voices of in this classroom, and I I want to please my peers who have this idea that you know. Um, I guess, I don't want to say, like, we were in high school, so I feel like a lot of, especially with, like, a lot of uh, Mormon culture influences, a lot of the topics that are considered liberal right now, um, when we were discussing them in class, um, you know, a lot of people took the conservative side, and I, like, I remember in high school, <laughs> I, like, ha debated on why creationism should be taught in public schools, and looking back on it, I'm like, why did I even um, do that? <laughs> Same. Um, <laughs> I was, like, fighting for it, and, um, yeah, now looking back, I'm like, man, like, Kim, you were just really trying to fit in, but it's okay, like, I give myself grace because, um, you know, I learned a lot, and looking back, I'm still learning a lot about self-acceptance, but yeah, life in Henderson was great, though, and um, I'm very thankful for the ways that I grew up, as like, being a Christian, too. Honestly, like, I stuck with the Mormon kids. I loved hanging out with them. Um, our hangouts are very wholesome. Um, I didn't get coffee with them, because they're not allowed to drink coffee, but you know, like we would go to Starbucks and they'd get chai teas and like I would get my mocha. Hey, they're not allowed to drink that either. What the heck are they doing? Oh, really? Oh, my God. Yeah, they can't drink tea. <laughs> well, they got chai tea. Um, and yeah, um, I'm just I, th I think I also learned too, like just the value of conversation. And we had I had a lot of great talks with my Mormon friends about faith um, and you know, a lot of them went to BYU, and I, I learned about their, their experience there, because even though, like, we went to APU, and, you know, we're Protestant Christian, um, there are still the same um, values at BYU. Like, a lot of them got married early, too, um, or younger, younger than I did, um, and, you know, I mean, I find comfort in that, too, because I have friends who, you know, um, are also in this season with me but yeah it's I think there's there's a lot of good that came out of um, Nevada but I'm now learning um, who I want to become and you know we'll see how I am doing this here in Texas where there also aren't any Filipinos but it's fine <laughs> I'll find them
So when you transitioned to APU, was that was that helpful? Did you find more of a space like for other Filipino or just Asian people in general? Or did you also feel the same of very like having to be more whitewashed to fit into this space? Oh my gosh. Yeah, definitely. Like, um, well, my first two years at APU, I was still, you know, Kim trying to fit into these white spaces. I remember like thinking in my brain, like, man, I'm going to try to avoid, and this is so sad. Like, I'm sorry if like, I'm not like this anymore, but I was thinking like, man, I'm going to like, hopefully avoid, um, the Filipino groups, quote unquote. And, um, you know, the first night alpha, there's a Filipino girl in my alpha group <laughs> and she's like one of my best friends now. Or, And then um, in my hall, I had three Filipino girls and um, one of them lived across the hall from me. And I was like, oh my gosh, God, like you are doing something in my life. Um, and they're still great friends to this day. And But I definitely walked into APU wanting to be like the token Asian in my circles. Um, and it wasn't until um, I got uh, got involved with chapel band my junior year that I started to accept myself. Um, and this is a funny story because um, I auditioned for chapel band as a leader. Um, I didn't get the leader position, but I got a singing position. And the chapel band that I was assigned to was International Chapel. Um, and I was like, seriously? Like, my sister also auditioned, and I'm like, why didn't she put be put in this position? Because she's even more Filipino than I am. Um, <laughs> she can speak better Tagalog than I can. Um, but that, um, that experience really forced me in a good way to embrace who I am and all the things that were taught to me. I didn't, like, I never thought I could actually sing in Tagalog until um, I was forced to through iChapel. And then um, when I became the leader senior year, I saw the beauty of being a Filipino-American leader, but also, you know, honoring those who are from the Philippines and giving them voice as well. And you know, the international students who were from the Philippines, um, they taught me a lot about how to embrace myself. And I learned a lot. I learned a lot from them because they know the culture and they lived in that culture. But there's still a lot of differences. So, um, yeah, I I definitely leaned into it. But that was only because APU had an international chapel. I would say if I continued to um try to fit into my circles I probably wouldn't have been where I am today um with my culture and my self-acceptance so when you were so when you auditioned for chapel band did you have like an ideal like kaleo liturgical east or west like did you have something in mind that when you got international chapel it almost felt like like a disappointment oh yeah oh my gosh um I want like I, I don't know if you guys thought about it this way, but like East or West was like the peak of success for chapel bands because they were always on, like they just rotated um, or they always played, um, you know, Monday, Wednesday, Fridays. And mm-hmm. International Chapel was one of those bands that played on Fridays only on East, but then would sometimes get exposure, quote unquote. Um, on like a Monday, Wednesday chapel in the morning. And to me, like, I thought of it as, well, maybe I should be on East or West because they don't really have any Filipinos um, on on the band. And, you know, I could probably be that token Asian that, oh yeah, like APU can finally show diversity um, through this person. But I realized that that was not... (laughs) the case and that was not what God was calling um, me to do but I definitely had that thought where I was like man like international chapel and I mean you know there's a lot of things like I can't blame myself for having that because I feel like you know just in general the hierarchy that is (laughs) 
in APU leadership because we worship leadership a lot at APU um, that is embedded um, kind of also affirm that thought that I grew up having that you know mm-hmm. I'm not good enough to be on a white stage I guess you could say and just to clarify for people that don't understand what we mean by east and west at Azusa Pacific there are two campuses within the same like street corner um and so west campus has like our big like what do you call it like a it's a stadium it's like where the basketball players would play and chapel would be in that stadium monday wednesday friday and then on east campus there's a big um sort of like center where they also do chapel on monday wednesday friday and so west campus chapel band they always had Monday, Wednesday, Friday to perform unless we had some sort of like special band come in to take their place. And then East Chapel Band always did Monday and Wednesday within Friday being International Chapel on East Campus. So just to clarify what Kim meant of, wow, like being East or West was like a big deal because you were always sort of out there in chapel, people knew who you were and that sort of thing. Yeah, Kim, I'd also like to ask um, you've said multiple times that you're recovering evangelical. What do you mean by that? I want to be very fully informed on that. <laughs> I'm a recovering evangelical. Um, I mean, first of all, purity culture. I think I definitely um, was caught up in that mindset of, you know, you save yourself and that means you are a righteous Christian. Um and um, just trying to undo the, that way of thinking, I think after APU um, and here at Austin or here in Austin, and um, I think that was a, a main reason, a, a big reason, or a big part of evangelicalism. And also, um, I think, man, like, should we just call it white evangelicalism? Because I don't even. I mean, I know there are Asian churches and. Um, African-American churches, other culture churches that might be evangelical, but really it is a white um, denomination, or is it even a denomination? But um, It's like a collective of denominations. Yeah, um, the non-denominational denomination. But yeah, um, yeah just the idea that um, big is more, and, you know, the idea that we have to save these many souls um and music has a big part of that you know usually see a lot of evangelicals with a big band big production and um you know a big reason why they're so big is because people want to go to the band also like maybe there's a really great speaker at the church but um it is about you know the band and i think um as a worship leader like you want to be leading as an even in an evangelical church because that's where you are going to get more money um and i think when it as a worship leader you know i i define success as being a leader of a big band um when really you know i was raised in a small church and it was being i was taught that um, being a worship leader is more about relationship in general with your congregation. Um, and I'm not saying that big church is bad, but, you know, when we get so caught up in um, numbers and production, we miss the point of the purpose of church and the purpose of worship, and, which is to serve God ultimately. So um, mostly, you know, the, I don't know, I... Also, there are a lot of theological ideas with evangelicalism, um, with salvation, of course, but, um, you know, and evangelicals also think that they are right and um, that Christianity is the most or the only right religion. And I don't think that um, that mindset allows for conversation and allows for people to um, learn from other religions and you know it's just a very close-minded state of mind um, when I say evangelicalism I'm I'm just <laughs> thinking about a very close-minded um, 
group, or not group, but state of mind. <laughs> and um, yeah, sorry, I'm rambling. No, I love it. I appreciate them though. Like they made me who I am today, so. <laughs> but I mean, so I feel you... like, sorry, Spencer. No, that's okay. I just, so you, when you emailed me, you wanted me to note to make sure you kind of talked about um, your journey of being a Filipino American with worship culture. So I think that's like a good place of where you're talking about like the evangelicals, like white evangelicals. You grew up in a Filipino church. You came to APU and now you're at a Presbyterian church in Austin, Texas, which I don't imagine being very Filipino. And so kind of how does that impact it? Like how do all of those string together, both positive, negative, and that sort of thing? Yeah, I think um, as a Filipino worship leader, um, I, I think about the roots that I grew up with, which is the importance of hospitality, the importance of taking care of those around you, the importance of joy in the midst of trials and tribulations, which, um, you know, reasons probably why Filipinos are always laughing and we love to make fun of ourselves. Um, and just the importance of family, really. Um, and with evangelical worship, um, it, can, it can become more about producing a good product than it is about building relationship with one another. Um, and as a Filipino, like that is so countercultural because it's people first and then whatever comes out of that second. Um, and as a Filipino worship leader, I, 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 I don't, I don't know. I just don't want to lose that, that side of just caring for people first, um, and staying true to, um, yeah, this, you know, myself and you can even see in the Philippines, um, some, it, it, it can become the worship service have become more whitewashed, um, at least when I went there and I went to churches. So, um, you know, the importance of dancing in the Filipino worship service, the importance of praying and praying out loud. Um, those are also big parts of Filipino worship services that, um, I hope to, stay true to and being a worship leader here in Texas I mean I'm still new to the congregation so I haven't even met most of the con congregation because of corona but um, I think as I step into this um, new space where there aren't a lot of Filipinos I just hope that um, I don't lose myself to to the pressures of performing well and that's a big part of American culture in general is producing a good product. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that producing great music is great and is important because um, it's a way to lead others in worship. But when we lose the heart of why we worship God um, and it can just, you know, it can become, we just become a product. Um, mm -hmm. Sorry, again, I'm rambling. But... No, um, that kind of leads into a question I had of, why do you think in especially American Christianity, American evangelicalism, why do you think worship music is like the cornerstone for us? Like, why do we want to go to a church that has the best band? Or why do we listen to these mega churches worship albums more than we want to listen to our own small congregation? Like, why do you think that is? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a lot of it is just has to do with um, how we view Christianity in general now. Um, I think it has become more of a self-service for the soul um, rather than um, a relationship with God and one another. Um, I think that we, I mean, I love Christian music. Like I, I think even ex-Christians like if you aren't even Christian like the music sounds good it's not mm -hmm. like a, a bad product but you know there's an emotional aspect um, you know the drums swelling when they need to swell the guitar um, bringing the music down when you know when you're supposed to connect with God there's a lot of emotional aspects to 
Christian music that um, our hearts connect with. Um, and I think as a worship leader, you have to be careful of how you use music. And if you're using music as a way to connect with God, like, great, that's why we have music in church. But if you're using music to um, get people to feel a certain way and get a certain reaction, I think that's where it becomes dangerous. Um, and, you know, we just want to consume what everyone is consuming as well. So I don't know. It's I think there's just so many factors that unfortunately have come into um, the church that like capitalism that doesn't belong here in the first place. Um, so, yeah, I. Yeah. <laughs> well, Sorry. I no, I get what you said about even people that are non-Christians or ex-Christians. I have a friend who grew up in the same church circle as me and he's not a believer anymore, but he's told me, he's like, you know, when I really miss my mom, cause he, his mom still lives in Arizona and he lives um, in the South now. And he says, when I really miss my mom, I listen to like um, what used to come on the Christian radio station because it reminds me of her. And even if I don't necessarily believe in what the songs like are saying, like it just brings like peace and it makes me really happy. Yeah. Like it's a great, like, Man, I love Michael W. Smith, even though, <laughs> you know, we just saw, oh my him, gosh. saw him at doing that whole worship revival thing um, in Washington, D.C. Like, he, he he reminds me of my dad cleaning when I was younger in the house because mm-hmm. we would always blast him. So there is, like, you know, even with evangelicalism, too, like, there is, I have a special place in my heart for it because I grew up. It reminds me of my childhood. I mean, there are a lot of parts of it that I, I know that I need to undo, but, you know, some of it, you, you know, like has shaped, has been very instrumental in my walk with um, God and um, who I am today. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a really hard tension. I don't know, man. Like, <laughs> well, I mean, that we just brought up, you and I, we were just on Instagram talking about um, Kim Walker Smith, for example. Um, and if you don't know who Kim Walker Smith is, she is a evangelical worship leader. She um, does a lot of, she sings a lot on the Jesus culture sound. So you may not know her name, but you've definitely heard her. If you're in sort of evangelical mega church, you like those sort of church albums. You've definitely heard her before. And she just wrote, a, she calls it a worship song, but the song is about America. And she wrote it for a documentary about promoting Donald Trump. And so there's this really big tension of like nationalism, patriotism mixed in with worship music that I know for me is very uncomfortable because worship music is not about our nation or our political views. It very much is about serving God and connecting with God. And so just like you said of Michael W. Smith, of somebody that is sort of a a pillar in evangelical culture of worship to be out doing these somewhat I mean not even somewhat just blatantly very political things like it's just really really hard to reconcile yeah and you know when I think about the definition of worship um there's a quote by Frederick Buechner and he says that worship is is about serving God and there are two ways you could do that you can do things for him and then there are things that we do for us um, that are dedicated to him. And that is where musical worship comes in, I think, is the second part where, you know, we, we read our Bible, we, um, we sing songs to him, and that is so important, but even those things can become, um, or can become an idol or in place of God if, if we aren't careful about it and when it comes to you know singing the national anthem in church and you know all of that you know we have to think about what are the messages that we are promoting and you know are are they liberating people or are they trying to control their mindset um and yeah I mean I didn't I didn't get myself to listen to that song, so I just kind of heard it from you, but um, 
yeah, it's it's just it's really really disheartening to see that um, there are leaders that I look up to now, and to see them continue to perpetuate this idea that America is God um, when there are so many other countries that we as Christians can learn from and the values we can learn from and to think that there are so many countries that are looking to us as the example is scary because you know we have to ask ourselves are, are we are we are we liberating others are we loving others are we are we embracing who God made people to be or are we just trying to build another person like Kim Walker Smith or you know are we trying to build the next what's that Stephen Furtick guy <laughs> are we trying to <laughs> yes. um, build the same leaders who um, you know are trying to just um, yeah sorry can't complete that thought but <laughs> yeah I feel I feel that track with you of it's it's hard to even really comprehend of like what is happening in American worship, especially in these, especially when you talk about somebody um, involved in, in like Jesus culture or like Bethel, like rooted in American Christianity, but like all over the world, people sing these worship songs. And so that's really, it's something to think about and really take sort of a responsibility as a Christian of like, are we advocating God's kingdom or just an idea of what we think God's kingdom is yeah and also just sometimes we take from other cultures and we don't credit them we don't um embrace the stories where their that song came from like Waymaker yes um, I was the Sandra Van Opstel talk about it and you know we sing Waymaker Miracle Worker Promise Keeper um, and we think of God redeeming us from our first world problems. Um, but, you know, that song, the roots where it came from, like they were singing Waymaker, Miracle Worker, Promise Keeper because they needed to. Um, and yeah, like I, it's, it, it's just, you know, we, we, we have a tendency to take from other cultures, but then we call it American. Um, and, you know, I, I would, I pray for more integrity in our leadership. And, you know, I, I need that, that too, is just, you know, giving credit where credit is due and um, staying true to where things come from. Josie, what's that song that our pastor didn't like doesn't like to be sung because it's like about being white or something oh it's um that made me white as snow what is that no oh, other not- fount i know nothing, nothing but, but the, the blood, blood. Yeah. yeah what can make me yeah what can make me whole again what can wash yeah. away my sin yeah like what can make me pure is like white as snow basically of white being like the pureness yeah yeah, I think the theology behind worship music is something we need to like think about more often because I think to back to all the songs that I would sing growing up in church and I grew up in a very Pentecostal Hispanic church where it was dancing in the aisles, it was speaking in tongues, which is fine if you're into that, you know, more power to you. Um, and I was very involved with worship because my parent, my dad was a worship leader, my mom saying back up but not really because she can't really sing which is really funny um and then I was then indoctrinated to become the kitty choir worship leader and thinking back to all the performance all the almost to me it's heresy right like pretending like you're speaking in tongues and I was never into that or dancing in the eyes just because you're putting on this performance and then singing these songs that have very little theology to offer like I can't tell you right now I can't even look or listen to a Bethel song without cringing after their whole olive situation with the kid that was you know that's a whole 
I don't know. I think we often forget that worship songs is part of the music industry and you're giving money to these people that are not doing good things like Bethel over there or whatever. Or even Hillsong, right? Like Hillsong is very non-affirming. They don't like the gays. They don't like women in leadership, no matter what they say. And we continue to give them money because they write good music. Like that's not, I don't know how theologically sound that is. You're not being a good steward of your money. Or even that Stephen Furtick guy, he's like a mega church pastor, right? I think yeah. he has ties to Bethel, right? Well, I, I don't know, but I always see him. I follow preachers and sneakers on Instagram. <laughs> and he's always on that thing wearing these expensive shoes and clothes and I'm like what kind of message are you sending to people because worship is not just music right it's like this how you are as a person and you wearing thousand dollar sneakers is not very good worship in my opinion well that oh go ahead Spencer oh I was just gonna say that leads right into the question one of the questions I had written down is how do we reconcile worship music made by churches that we don't believe what they stand for and so that Don't really sing just, it. that just leads into it. Of, it's such Stick a hard balance. To the hymnal. <laughs> I, I will be 100% honest. Like there are Bethel songs that mean so much to me personally that I heard at an APU chapel and I didn't even know they were written by Bethel until later. And so it's really, really hard for me to reconcile that of there's this song that is really important to my faith journey, especially when I was at APU and now look looking back and being like, can I, can this song still have meaning to me when I know that I don't believe in the same things as these people? Or I don't know. It's just, it's so, so hard. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I can tell you how to reconcile. Cause I feel like I'm in the same boat and I'm, you know, I'm trying to, um, figure it out as a worship leader right now. Um, <laughs> But I, I think of Ecclesi- the book of Ecclesiastes and the Koalath, the poet, the poet who writes this um, book of wisdom, he, he talks about like nothing is new under the sun and, you know, all is vapor and you might as well drink and be merry. I mean, I'm summarizing the book. This is not a Bible verse, <laughs> but, you know, like it's, it's just this line that we walk of these things built me to who I am, but Mm -hmm. this is not something I would promote now. Um, And as a worship leader who is picking songs to sing on Sunday, um, those are questions that I think about too, because I do not want to introduce a song to someone that, and then they realize, oh, we're singing a song that is from a church that doesn't accept me. And, um, and I don't want, as a leader, I don't want to, for them to think that this is my belief too. Um, so yeah, I mean, like Jail said, hymns or Josie, <laughs> Josie said, um, hymns. But and we're actually singing a hymn. But you know, I think that it, it's it's a conversation that needs to happen in your church, and that's why I stress um, relationship in the worship leader's um, life is because you need to know your congregation and you need to know what your congregation needs and what your congregation, what the words your congregation needs to declare um, for that reconciliation to happen. And, you know, if there is a, if your congregation needs to um, sing a song that you know, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. Uh, I think that that is something that worship leaders need to discuss with the pastors. And I know pastors can sometimes also have an opinion of wanting to sing this song. And, you know, um, it's, it's just discernment. And like, I can't tell I can't give a solution, but I just want, I just always encourage conversation for that because, and I hope that we are more thoughtful in our choices because they do have consequences. And, Mm -hmm. you know, every move we make, like Josie said, preachers and sneakers, like that sends a message 
of, you know, I think that these sneakers are important um, and money is important, that even though you don't think that this is a message that you're conveying, like people are interpreting that. And um, I think that a lot of worship leaders forget the importance or we get so caught up in the music that we forget that, um, you know, our job as a worship leader first is to worship God and pray first, um, and walk with God in those decisions rather than, um, just continuing to produce, 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 um, every Sunday. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about this whole worship series that's going around the country. (laughs) I was at an event, um, fully masked up, N95 with a cloth mask over it, and I went to this event and nobody was wearing a mask. Um, It was indoors. I mean, it was like a really important event for somebody, Um, Mm. and it wasn't like a worship night. It was just like a normal, everyday type of event, and so I went fully masked up, all dressed up or whatever. And then I hear these people talking about how they had just gone to the Sacramento worship night or worship thing at the state Capitol. And I had a full on panic attack because they were not wearing masks and they were fully aware that they had exposed themselves. There's no social distancing at these events. There was no masks. And I was like, how awful of you to put other people in this position even if they believe the same thing right because none of them were wearing masks but how dare you as a quote-unquote christian who went to this worship night put other people's lives at risk even if you don't believe it's a risk like you don't know what other people want or need and i could not handle it and then it's like a tour so they're going and going and going and it's the guy from jesus culture i believe and then michael w smith was at the like lincoln memorial or wherever it was and i was like these people have zero regard for the people that they're going to come in contact with later like you're going to go to the grocery store you're going to go to your grandma's house and you don't care whether they live or die because you want to go worship Mm -hmm. when you could just do that in the comfort of your own home (laughs) So the, um, an author I really like, her name is D.L. Mayfield, and she lives in Portland, and she actually just wrote a book called The Myth of the American Dream, all about how, like, especially in Christian cultures, we, like, emphasize the, we're living the best country in the world, and freedom, and God's, like, promise, um, and her and her <laughs> husband actually went to that, like, worship event in, when it came to Portland, because they, her and her husband had been out at the Black Lives Matters protests for, like, weeks, and then that worship night came, and her and her husband went out there as, like, a counter-protest, and she had a sign, which is, like, one of, like, my favorite verses um, from the book of Amos, um, and it's the verse that says, away with your noisy hymns of praise. I will not listen to the music of your harps. Instead, I want to see a flood of justice, an endless river of righteous living. And I just thought that was like so powerful of like she, her and her husband had been out in Portland, like peaceful protesting for justice. And then these white evangelical Christians come and say like, we stand with the police and like, we want to worship God because that's what he would want. And she's just like, what are you doing? What is happening? Right. Like where two or three are gathered in my name, that is church, right? Like that is worship. You could sing along to your radio and that is worship. You don't have to be in a building. You don't have to be in a giant group, getting your groove on in front of other people because of your feelings and emotions that are tied up in corporate worship I don't know it's just so fucking selfish and I can't get over it I get so angry at people yeah I mean I feel like all these feelings that we are are expressing about this movement is is a sign of care you know I don't know like I just think that (laughs) Like, we don't need to defend God. We do not. God nope. can defend God's self. Um, God, we don't, God does not need us to speak. God, like, we are putting God in a box if we think that he is solely 
depending on our worship to keep his name alive. And you know what? Like I and I do think that we need to continue to speak about God. We continue to declare our faith boldly, but you know, sometimes we don't realize that our shouting is shutting out the voices that actually need to be heard. And I think that I mean, the fact that they were having a worship revival whatever right next to a Black Lives Matter protest speaks a lot to why they are doing that in the first first place. They are to me it's like, man, do you are you listening, you know? Like do you hear the voices that are crying out? They are not they are crying out for us as we try to reflect the Imago Dei as God's people for us to listen and we are not listening. We think that we need to shove these songs that aren't even working anymore into their face when they know, I know that they've heard it already. And um, I feel like the church right now, it's not about singing and it's not about gathering, um, but it's about coming alongside and being with one another and actually, you know, like I saw this tweet, like, you know, that how worship leaders always say, like, um, it's it's what you do and like you guys are the worship leaders and how you lead lead your lives and i think that is what we need to do now is we need to lead by examples the song is not something that we need to sing it is something that we need to live out um and i don't know like i mean i can't articulate myself well enough because i just feel every emotion whenever i see another post of that but um i echo what sandra van opstel has said and um, who she articulates it way better than I do. But um, I echo what she has said about everything that is going on right now with those worship revivals. Well, it's just so frustrating, right? Because I mean, it's not like you're, you'll protest for going to church and for, and this is the business side, right? Like these pastors from these churches are encouraging you because they want your fucking money. Like they want, like all the donations and tithes have really gone down during this period of time and they want to keep running their businesses and keep their doors open and whether that's good or not is up for debate but that's why they're encouraging these protests is because they want your money and they want you to back in the building and they want your money and that's kind of in the back side of their head because you're not protesting for the homeless you're not protesting for people that are actually marginalized you're not protesting for justice for black people you're not even protesting for the police, really. You're protesting to be able to go worship. You're not, you don't believe in anything but your building. And that is not a belief at all. But I also think that just, I think that also just speaks into, if it's truly they think it's about money, which some people do, some people don't. Some people are really buy into this sort of religious freedom. That is just a whole other issue. But that also is just insensitive of their, your tithing and offerings have gone down because that people just really can't afford it. I, my husband and I technically worked in essential business and I was still laid off. So the fact that there's just so many, there's so many factors to all of this. And I think that is like, I think that's the part that's so frustrating is even on our side, even for us that are, that are upset or angry about it. Like there's so many factors to all of it. Um, and I was, I was looking up a verse that just came to my mind when you were talking about showing up like without masks or just saying like the Lord's going to protect us. Cause I know a lot of churches that have been sort of disobeying these orders have this umbrella of like, God's going to protect us. And it brought up two verses. One, the first is in, is in Deuteronomy where it's basically just saying like the, like the Lord is a jealous God and um, his anger can be kindled against you. Um, and he would destroy you from the face of the earth. Like, don't put your Lord on test. And then in the book of Luke, in Luke chapter four, Jesus brings that up again when they're um, basically just says the devil took him to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, 
he will command his angels concerning you to protect you and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against the stone and jesus answered him it is also said do not put your lord do not put the lord your god on test and i just keep thinking about that of like obviously like there's a different context in there but i think it also can apply to this of of course like the god wants to protect you and he loves you but do not put him on test because he like you want to just put him under oh like god's going to protect us like god gave us brains and ideas and the i the ability of critical thinking so that we can protect ourselves too and if protecting us means you can still have your worship but do it outside social distance and wear a mask like god is for that god doesn't want you to show up and gather in a building with a ton of people with no mask and claim his protection that is not what he is about you know right you're also not like tightrope walking between buildings saying that god is going to protect you and not let you fall like yeah you have a safety net (laughs) exactly i don't know people just pick and choose and it's really fucking annoying (laughs) wear your fucking masks No, I mean, if I'm going to be honest, before I even started this job at this church, I was not really attending church um, in general. And, you know, I I really feel like if, if we're going to think that God is, you know, the source of all of this, if you're going to, if we're going to use that theology, say that is, like, why don't we reflect on why specifically worship services are stopping like why why did god choose to stop worship services and you know going back to the amos maybe god is telling us we i don't want to hear your your songs anymore i don't want that is all meaningless to me now and i mean i know someone here at the seminary who has been going out and feeding the homeless and actually Mm -hmm. doing that as her sunday worship Um, And I think that is what we should be doing right now. We should be going out and helping and actually using our bodies to worship rather than our voice and, and, you know, whatever. Um, Because who is that helping at this point? Um, It's almost like he's calling us into a life of holistic worship. Not just, not just Sunday morning songs, you know? Figure that. Yeah, I think it's just so frustrating. Um, Especially, I mean, I've always been really into tithing with my time and doing that kind of shit. Um, I don't know. People just think that it's that American mentality of I'm good on Sunday and I can do whatever the fuck I want the rest of the week. And I feel like people are feeling like bad people because they're not going to church on Sunday. And that's probably the fuel behind all these counter protests or whatever they're calling them is that they feel like they're not being good christians because they're not in a building um which is very on god well and i also just think it it feeds into american individualism of you people and i i speak this from a place of my myself of doing this at one point of going to church for what i could get out of it how does it personally serve me how does it make me feel better how does it make me feel spiritual and righteous? Not, I want to go because I want to contribute to a community and I want to live in community and I want to be challenged and I want to um, be have a holistic life of worship. And so I think that too of it, exactly what, what Kim said of it, it opens our eyes of God being like, this isn't enough. Like, it's not enough for you to go and get your Jesus on and feel close to me if Monday through Saturday, you don't pay me, you don't pay me mind when I'm standing on the street corner. You don't pay me mind when I'm in the grocery parking lot trying to get my kid in the car. Like you don't pay me mind when there's somebody that just is sitting by themselves and needs somebody to just say hello to them. You pay me no mind. So I need you to be out there in the world and I need your feet in the streets when injustices are happening, even if it makes you unpopular. I need you to do that because I was unpopular and nobody loved me like they said they would at the end of the day because I was still crucified and I need you to be out there. And I think exactly what what you guys are just saying and all of us have just something bigger is happening. And unless we can wake up to it, we're going to miss it. We're totally going to miss the point of it all. And I think... 
I think that is scary. I think that is more scary of God giving us like the biggest sign to slow down and really live in a community in brand new ways, a living faith. And so many of us are missing it. That is just, it's heartbreaking and it's terrifying. Well, it's like people say like, this is our civil rights movement. This is our point in history to make a difference. And you're either going to be on the right side of history, like in the sixties, or you're going to be on the wrong side of history. Like so many white churches were, and it's the same thing, right? They talk about, Oh, we're being persecuted, religious persecution. And yet they continue to perpetuate the persecution of people of color because they want to be in church and they, and because apparently you have to be Republican to be Christian and you have to love Donald Trump to be Christian. Otherwise you're just some social justice warrior who doesn't know God anyway. Right. And I just can't the hypocrisy, the lack of understanding of historical precedent. It's so honestly, I just can't with white people right now. (laughs) I'll just leave then. (laughs) You're a good one. I give you permission to exist because Thanks. that's my own. <laughs> because I can do that. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, friends, um, homegirls got to get to work <laughs> um, at a church. <laughs> yes, we love the church. I like to reiterate that. We love the church. Um, Kimberly, thank you for joining us and for, thank you for having me. Yes. Good and I just. I thank you for just ha- being willing to have this conversation, especially in such weird times. Um, yeah, I just thank you. Is there anything you'd like to say before we get going? Some final thoughts or anything like that? Or if you have a project to plug? Uh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. if you want to p- plug uh, um, what you and um, your fellow women are doing at uh, Recoalition, I want to know about that. Yeah, well, Recoalition is... A group of women, I think four of us, how many of us are? Well, there's a good group of us that are from APU, and then there's another seminarian who is um, a friend of one of us, our APU people. But um, we, you know, we we are trying to start this conversation of what does it mean to look at the Bible in a way that will liberate others and what is um, a way or what is the way for us to reclaim our christianity um and there are okay there are five of us three of us are people of color and um we have talked about just how do we how do we incorporate our womanhood how we do incorporate our cultures um into reading the biblical text um but we also talk about um, other things we will talk about current events um, we talk about we hope to talk about what the church is doing and how we can help the church grow into um, what we we want the kingdom of God to look like um, but yeah they are it's a group of us five I'll say that they are way cooler than me um, we're all in seminary and we're just trying to figure this out um, and start this conversation and yeah, they're all great. Follow us at Recoalition um, on Instagram, and we'll see what God does with it. But it started in COVID. We were just all, you know, wanting to start this conversation, and it turned into an Instagram page, and hopefully it will turn into um, a great community. We love educated women. As educated women, we love educated women. <laughs> we love all women obviously but I love that especially the fact that you're all in seminary like pop off Kim pop off yeah tell these boys what to do speak in church baby (laughs) I love it well friends you can find us um you can find me my personal Instagram is Josie takes the world um Spencer what's your personal Instagram Spencer Rose with one r s p e n c e r o s e we're also on Twitter I am uh Josie takes the no world just Josie takes the and I am snowble s-n-o-b-l-e underscore and on Instagram you can find our podcast at speaking in church just speaking in church yes um you can find us on anchor.fm slash speaking in church we uh find us wherever you get your podcast I mean you're already listening so I guess you already know that 
Kim, but, you want to uh, plug your socials? Yeah. <laughs> I only have Instagram, so Kimmy.Faith. Request me because I'm currently private. <laughs> and there, uh, as she was talking about, Recoalition, R-E dot coalition on Instagram. Go ahead and give them a follow. Yes, please. And follow everyone. Follow at an adoptee talks back. That is one of my friends who also has an adoption page um, mm-hmm. talking about the ethics behind transracial adopt adoptions. Just want to plug in that for her because I think that's a great also source to learn from. Yes. I think we're gonna, I I think we're gonna have to get her on the podcast because that's a conversation I want to have mm-hmm. so badly. I know. Amen. As somebody who plans on only adopting children, I gotta know. I got, yes. Granted, I'm adopting from foster care, so I guess it's a little different, but still. Well, Kimberly, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, we will tag her in our social medias and all of the great things she's doing. Um, we love you guys. Jesus loves you. Thank you for listening to us, and we'll see you next week. Yes, stay woke or get woke. Bye. Bye.